This is Cliff Mass, and welcome to my weather podcast. Each week, I talk about current weather, provide a forecast for the weekend and beyond, and give you more details about an interesting weather phenomenon. It's Saturday, January 7th, and let's talk about the weather forecast. The weather is going to be very similar day after day for the next week. A deep trough of low pressure has developed over the eastern Pacific and will stay in place for most of the week. A high amplitude trough that will push most of the heavy rain and winds south of the Pacific Northwest into California. A very, very persistent feature. Now, with this trough digging all the way down into California, on the eastern side, there will be northerly flow, and a series of disturbances, low pressure systems, will move northward on the eastern side of that trough offshore of the Pacific Northwest. So one low center after the other will be moving northward off our our coasts. The result of this pattern will be a series of rainy periods during the next week, separated by one to two days as each disturbance moves upward. It's really extraordinary. Uh, Temperatures over the western side of the northwest will be in the upper 40s to lower 50s each day. Inland over the Columbia Basin, temperatures will be 5 to 8 degrees cooler. Temperatures generally in the 40s with plenty of showers. So it will be warmer than normal over the Columbia Basin. Now, temperatures in the passes will be in the 30s, and I expect snow accumulation above roughly 3,500 feet. For skiers at higher elevations, you should be fine. That's no Kwame. It may be a mixture, so watch out for that. The weather this month, after the new year, is turning out different than we expected, and that's because of the correlation between La Nina and our weather here. If you remember, La Nina is associated with colder than normal temperatures in the central and eastern tropical Pacific. La Nina years typically bring dry conditions to central and southern California and wet, cool conditions to the northwest. La Nina years are typically associated with an offshore ridge of high pressure over the eastern Pacific. This year, we're getting just the opposite. There's a trough. Now, you should keep in mind, though, that the connection between El Nino, where you have warmer than normal waters in the Pacific, and La Nina, with our local weather, it's useful, but it's not perfect. It's more like weighting the atmospheric dice than definitively determining the upcoming weather. Another factor to keep in mind is La Nina, although relatively strong into the early fall, is now weakening rapidly and should be gone by summer, according to the latest forecasts. In any case, the models are extremely clear that heavy precipitation will be hitting California during the upcoming week, with flooding and landslides a certainty. On the positive side, the reservoirs in California are filling rapidly, and I suspect most of them will be filled by the end of the month, and the snowpack in the Sierra Nevada, which is so important for water resources later in the year, is extraordinarily good. Thanks for listening. 
Weather doesn't end with the forecast. Now let's talk about the special weather topic of the week. This podcast will be about atmospheric rivers. The media and others have increasingly talked about atmospheric rivers and particularly their effects on heavy precipitation and flooding. But what are atmospheric rivers? How long have we known of their existence? What produces them? What will global warming do to them? All of this will be discussed in this podcast. An atmospheric river is a relatively narrow plume of water vapor, mainly in the lower atmosphere, that extends out of the subtropics and tropics into the mid-latitudes. They're not that wide, only a few hundred miles at most, but they can be extremely long, thousands of miles long in cases. Now, such moisture plumes are often associated with relatively warm air as well. In fact, it has to be that way, since the amount of water vapor in a volume of air depends critically on temperature. Warm air holds a lot more water vapor than cooler air. So to have a plume of really primo water vapor, you need warm air. Atmospheric rivers don't simply represent a conduit of moisture out of the tropics. Water vapor enters the sides of these atmospheric rivers all the way of its length, not unlike small streams entering uh, long terrestrial rivers. So there's really the analog is not bad. Over the ocean, atmospheric rivers are, are only associated with light or moderate precipitation. But when atmospheric rivers make landfall on the coast with terrain, massive precipitation can result. For example, back in November 2006, an atmospheric river hit the northwest. Some mountain locations in our region, especially in the Cascades, received 15 to 25 inches of precipitation, mainly in the form of rain, over three days. Uh, the freezing level tends to be extremely high with atmospheric rivers because of the warmth, Often the freezing levels go to seven, eight, nine thousand feet. So generally, there's not a lot of snow at low elevations with atmospheric rivers. Now, the first ter- time that at the ter- that the term atmospheric river was used was in a paper in 1994 by Reginald Newell and Young Zhu of MIT. I read that paper, but even though they were the first to use that term, the idea the concept of a plume of warm, moist air moving out of the subtropics and the tropics into the mid-latitudes, bringing heavy precipitation, was well-known decades before, but under a different name. It was often called the warm sector jet or airstream. Plumes of warm, moist air coming out of the tropics is usually associated with a certain large-scale weather configuration. Specifically, atmospheric rivers are often or generally associated with a trough of low pressure, a deep trough of low pressure that extends southward from the north, while high pressure builds to the south in the subtropics. Between these features, low pressure to the north, high pressure to the south, there is a large change in pressure horizontally, a large pressure gradient that results in strong, southwesterly winds 
particularly on the eastern side of the trough, that draws moisture and warmth from the south, moving it up to the north in long, narrow plumes of moisture, some of which can extend thousands of miles. But there's more. The strong winds associated with atmospheric rivers can push large amounts of moist air up terrain features. And in the case of the West Coast, we're talking about the Sierra Nevada, the Cascades, the Olympics, and the coastal mountains that run north-south just inland from the Pacific Coast. Mountains are extremely effective in releasing the moisture in these atmospheric rivers into precipitation. Moisture is supposed to rise. When it rises, it cools. It can't hold the moisture, and it drops out. Specific atmospheric rivers sometimes have names. For instance, the atmospheric river that hits the northwest often tra- tracks to the, south, uh, to the southwest and ends up somewhere near the Hawaiian Islands, and such atmospheric rivers are often called a pineapple express. Atmospheric rivers are highly predictable by our current generation of numerical models days in advance. The reason that they're so predictable is that the atmospheric rivers are controlled by the larger scale flow that the models can generally forecast quite well two to three days in advance and often three to five days in advance, occasionally even longer. But one thing I want to make clear, small errors in the orientation and location of an atmospheric river can produce large precipitation errors in local watersheds, even if the general situation is well predicted. So in the case of an atmospheric hitting Washington State, an atmospheric river hitting Washington State, it might, we might be pretty good in getting the overall precipitation for the state, but whether you know, a particular drainage uh, gets rain, that is hard to predict accurately. Meteorologists have a number of diagnostics we're always using for atmospheric rivers. One is IWV, integrated water vapor. It's a measure of how much rainfall would occur if all the water vapor in the column condensed out. Basically, it's a sum of all the water vapor in the column. You dropped all that as precipitation. How much water substance do you have? Another that's used a lot is IVT, integrated water vapor transport. That's the amount of water vapor moving into a location over time. Interestingly enough, a strong atmospheric river which is only 100 miles or so wide, can transport as much water vapor per some time interval, an hour or a day, as the Amazon River or other large rivers. That's why people use the term. What about climate change? Climate models suggest that in a warming world, atmospheric rivers will be about as frequent as today but they will contain more water vapor because warm air can hold more water vapor than cooler air. A reasonable projection by many of the models is that by the end of the century, such enhanced atmospheric rivers might cause the heaviest associated rainfall to increase by about 20%. Not catastrophic, but it could enhance flooding and other problems. ARs, atmospheric rivers, are critical sources of water for California. 
It's the main source of water for California, quite frankly, with a handful of atmospheric rivers during a typical winter providing the bulk of the Golden State's precipitation. So missing one or two atmospheric rivers, well, that can be pretty serious. Finally, let's look at what's happening right now. California is going to experience a series of significant atmospheric rivers during the next week. That's for sure. And the precipitation totals in the mountains, including the western side of the Sierra Nevada, should reach 15 to 20 inches in some locations. Rivers are going to flood. There's no doubt about that. But on the other hand, there's going to be a massive refill of some of the critical reservoirs in California. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Feel free to send me your questions or any topics you would like me to cover. This podcast will be available every Friday morning on my blog and major podcast platforms. If you would like to support this podcast, feel free to use the Patreon link on my blog. See you next time.